Hi, and welcome to the Women in Foreign Policy podcast. This month, we're doing a bit of a crossover with the print edition. By now, we've all heard about the initial stages of the COVID vaccine distribution effort, so we thought it would be a good time to review some conversations on global public health. We'll be hearing the audio version of a few different interviews with various women working in different public health organizations. This episode, you'll hear from Dr. Alice McGushin, also interviewed by Martha Bowler. Dr. McGushin is the program manager at the Lancet Countdown Tracking Progress on Health and Climate Change. This interview was initially conducted about a year ago, so some answers have been amended from the print version due to the change in circumstances. We're very glad to have this audio to share with you, and thanks to Martha for conducting this interview. You are program manager at the Lancet Countdown on Health and Climate Change. Could you describe what your role involves and what the main challenges are? Sure. Um, So my role is to help bring together the academic work of our authors of the annual report of the Lancet Countdown. Um, So that involves around 70 authors from around 35 different UN and academic institutions. We publish an indicator report in November every year, and so I help bring together all that we have. It's split up into five different sections. Um, And so I help bring that all together into a single report. We also have a number of other academic outputs, um, such as case studies, looking at um, the regional and national implications of the response to the health impacts of climate change, which are published separately to that report. And I help with those as well. How do you select experts to include in the Lancet reports on climate change? So usually it happens that someone approaches us because they are interested and they work in health and climate change and they would like to be involved. We look to expand and improve our work Um, and so if they are offering something that allows us to do that then we will pursue that so usually that comes in the form of development of new indicators Um, so if that's addressing an area that we're not currently addressing with our present indicators for example looking at migration and climate change and the effects of of climate change on migration and the related health effects of that um, then we look toward like we work with them to support them to help develop indicated proposal and go from there. On the other hand, people approach us and then we approach particular experts in those indicator gaps that we have um, and, and again ask them to help us develop indicators specific for those areas. In what fields do your experts come from? So a wide range of expertise. Um, so we have traditional public health areas such as epidemiology, but we also have energy experts, climatologists, we have political scientists, social scientists, engineers, doctors, a wide range of different expertise. So you were selected for your current and previous positions, so for example at the WHO, through a competitive process. Could you say a bit more about this process? Sure. Um, So similar to regular job applications, um, it involved an application process. So for for the Lancet Countdown, I applied through the University College London. Um, So I submitted an application along with 
my CV and letter of motivation. I've been interested in this area for a number of years and a lot of my work leading up to this point had been related to Lancer Countdown and had been leading up to this particular role. Um, so my motivation and my expertise um, and experience kind of put me in good stead to get this position. I then had an interview um, and so the applicants were shortlisted and then there was an interview process and then I was selected from that. So I'm aware that you were involved in the 2018 countdown, is that right? Yeah. yeah. How have you found that like gender representation in like your, the experts and responsivity in terms of talking about a gender responsive climate change has evolved? So in the Lancet countdown and worldwide in the area of health and climate change research, there is definitely a disparity in terms of men and women as experts and also authors in publications. This is something that we're acutely aware of in the Lancet countdown and are working to address. You can see this in the appointment of our directors in the regional centres in Asia and South America. Our director of Asia is Dr. Wenja Chai, who is an associate professor in global change economics. And our director in South America is Dr. Stella Hartinger, who's an environment and public health specialist. We also have a number of incredible women in our central team at the Lancet Countdown, including our operations director, our data scientist, our communications manager, also our health adaptations fellow and our health impacts fellow, and also a consultant who's working on health and climate change um, and the Lancet Countdown in Europe. So I know that you're very active and run very ma many marathons. How many have you done? And how do you balance uh, your personal life and work? Um, that's that's a, a question I used to know the answer to. <laughs> so in 2020, of course, most, well, all races were cancelled over most of spring and summer. I was very lucky to run a 45-kilometre trail race along the coast in Northumberland back at the end of February. Then throughout all of lockdown over spring and summer, I was basically running by myself in South London, training for an ultra marathon, a 100k race, my first ever 100-kilometre race, which was uh, scheduled for mid-August. That fortunately went ahead. And I ran that. It was one of the first races that went ahead um, after the lifting of restrictions. So I was really lucky to run that. In 2021, I already have several ultramarathons scheduled. My big race will be Ultra Trail Snowdonia, which is happening in June 2021. And in the lead up to that, I will be running several other smaller ultra races in February, March and May. Um, having, having a work-life balance is essential. Mm -hmm. Um, running to me is essential for my mental health. It's important both as kind of a stress reliever to you know, clear my head, to focus on something that is not related to work, whether that's, you know, listening to a podcast, li listening to an audio book, focusing on a race or just running without any distractions and just like letting my head kind of process things. 
it also helps me with goal setting you know in terms of, of something outside of work or for studies like if there's something that's not going so well in mm-hmm. one respect of life then you know it's it's great to focus on something else you know have have targets in terms of you know running a certain time running a certain distance completing a certain race so i think like i developed the discipline to be able to do this um throughout medical school so getting up each morning or doing training in the evening um and and it's been like slowly it's become a daily habit for me like over the course of several years where it's it's normal for me to to run once a day most days what's an ultra ultra marathon any distance more than 42 kilometers more than a marathon (laughs) impressive (laughs) so did you plan to start a career in climate change while you were at medical school when i started medical school no Like most people starting medical school, I started medical school planning on being a doctor, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's yeah. why most people do it. Um, but I did start with a strong interest in global health um, and a strong feeling of kind of responsibility for society. I also grew up in an area of Tasmania which had fairly substantial environmental da- damage related to mining, um, but also at the same time, incredible natural beauty like you know the largest expanse of temperate rainforest in Australia and so I had these two interests um and and I'd done projects in high school on climate change and I was really interested in climate change as well um but it wasn't until after I started medical school and I saw the quote of the 2009 Lancet Commission on Health and Climate Change um, in like my first couple of weeks in medical school saying that climate change is the biggest global health threat of the 21st century that I realised that the two were connected and that kind of flicked a switch for me and from there it became a passion of mine and something that I ended up spending as much time on that as I did in medical school. So when I started medical school I didn't know that this is what I wanted to do. When I finished medical school, I still didn't know that I was going to end up here. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know in what direction I would go. Um, and But I knew that I was interested in this and I was passionate in this, so I was going to pursue this to some degree. Just before graduation, I decided I would come to London and after finishing my internship and then come and do a master's in public health at London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. So I followed through with that and I came and did the master's and at the same time I started talking to Nick and becoming more involved with the Lancet Countdown, following what it was doing Mm -hmm. um, and from there started working with the Lancet Countdown. There seems to be an even split in male and female speakers at the launches. Was this a priority for you? Absolutely. So um, the Lancet is particularly um, proactive in this area and has nice. a specific policy on of having at least 50% um, mm. gender representation in all its events. Um, so nice. we took this seriously and mm-hmm. tried as best we could in almost every circumstance to have at least 50% women presenting at our events. From the inception of the Lancet Countdown, um, there has been the effort to have equal gender representation Um, we're not quite there and and that's I guess related to a number of different things in terms of like you know previous structural kind of 
disparities and, and who is in particular positions, um, but we're working really hard to get there. And do you think the Lancet countdown will be able to shape policies around climate change worldwide? Um, and have you noticed differences in government responsiveness in different countries? So we do aim to change policy in climate change worldwide. And the way we do this is through our target audience, the health community. And through the health community, we work to reach policymakers. We reach the health community through our annual report, which is published in The Lancet, one of the most prestigious and most influential medical journals in the world. We also reach the health community through our policy briefs and also through local events organised by national and local health organisations. In the last five years, we have seen stronger engagement and action within the health community. For example, we've seen many leading health organisations commit to divesting from fossil fuels, including the British Medical Association, the Canadian Medical Association and the World Medical Association. In 2019, we also saw many leading health organisations declare a climate emergency. And in more recent times, we've also seen several departments and ministries of health formally recognise climate change within their portfolios. In 2020, we also saw the National Health Service of the UK commit to net zero emissions by 2040, being the first health service in the world to make a net zero emissions commitment. In 2020, of course, many countries were overwhelmed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite this, we saw several countries make net zero emissions commitments, such as China, South Korea, Japan, and we have seen stronger action on climate change. Um, what did you take away from working at the World Health Organization? The World Health Organization is the world's leading health authority, and it has said that climate change is one of the biggest health challenges we face this century, which is very significant. WHO is leading on work in health and climate change through working with national ministries of health. It works with countries to develop country profiles on health and climate change and helps them in their response to climate change in terms of adaptation plans for health and also encouraging them to have stronger mitigation targets. Now, because the World Health Organization works so closely with ministries of health and is, of course, also dependent on the ministries of health to exist, it is harder for WHO to put added pressure on governments to take even further action on climate change. So they can't take such an advocacy role. Also, of course, the World Health Organization is dealing with other health issues. And you'll have seen that it's been fairly preoccupied with the COVID-19 pandemic over the last 12 months. Yet, despite this, WHO has still been doing work on climate change in 2020. It hosted the Race to Zero Climate and Health Dialogue in November. And also Dr. Tedros did manage to find the time to speak at the launch event of our 2020 report and also engaged on social media around our launch of our report. How do you see your career evolving in the future? So I'm, I see myself staying with the Lancet Countdown at least for Good. the next few years. Mm -hmm. um, and over that time, it's, um, we're going to be rapidly evolving. Um, and it's, it's a pretty exciting time to be involved. Um, we're going to expand our kind of 
regional representation so develop further partnership and um, kind of research in different areas both in high income settings um, such mm-hmm. as the United States but also in low and middle income settings such as in, in China and um, South America and small island developing states in Africa so um, I will stay here and help drive that process um, and help cool. help drive the world's response to climate change yeah, and health. That's interesting. Does that mean you're going to open like offices there for like the Lancet Countdown or um, is that like research? Yeah. Mostly. Okay. Yeah. What do you think a gender responsive approach to climate change would look like? So there are gender differences in both the health impacts of climate change and also in the response. For example, many studies around the world have found an increased relative risk of heat-related mortality in women compared with men. However, um, an opposite relationship has been found in Bangladesh. Also, considering extreme weather events, there are higher fatalities among men in events such as wildfires and floods. But then looking at the mental health impacts of extreme weather events, there, there's a high risk of mental health impacts such as PTSD, depression and anxiety among women following an extreme event. There are also gender differences in terms of the response to climate change in both adaptation and mitigation. For example, gender differences in farming and fishing practices, which are greatly in different country contexts and and different regions. A gender responsive approach to climate change involves being aware of these gender differentiated impacts and responses and including them in adaptation plans. It also involves having diversity in leadership in both adaptation and mitigation planning. Looking at the Lancet Countdown itself, our response, our gender response to climate change involves us looking at each of our indicators across all of our report, our 43 different indicators, and assessing all the existing evidence of any gendered relationship within that indicator. We're then also looking to see if any data exists to allow us to study the gender differentiated impacts and responses within our indicators. This approach will also help us identify areas that need further research and also identify any data gaps that exist. And we expect there will be many. And so this will help the global call for better gender differentiation in science. What's the biggest improvement you've seen in your during your time working on climate change? I think the policy climate has definitely changed over this time. So prior to Paris, there was virtually no like commitments to two degrees. Um, like there was yeah. no mention of two degrees in previous agreements in like the Kyoto Protocol or anything before that. And since then we've had multiple major economies commit to net zero emissions by 2050, um, which I couldn't have dreamed of five years ago. It didn't seem like anyone was prepared to do that um, other than small island developing states and least developed countries who barely emit anything anyway, um, but are the worst affected by climate change. So I think that's really been driven by 
the change in public awareness, um, particularly over the last few years, there has been stronger recognition of the present day and future impacts of climate change, um, and there's been a stronger demand for a response. Do you think we'll be able to stick to zero emissions in 2050? So at the end of 2020, 126 countries have made net zero emissions commitments. However, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says that in order to stick below 1.5 degrees of warming, the whole world, we need to have global net zero emissions by 2050. With the current commitments that we have, we will still see a warming of over 2.5 degrees, according to the latest UN Environment Emissions Gap Report. And that's if the US government also commits to net zero emissions. So there's a lot more work to be done. And a lot of that work needs to focus on the next 10 years, looking to short-term commitments up until 2030. So there's a lot more work that needs to be done. What are three pieces of advice you would give an ambitious woman wanting to get into the same line of, of work as you? Firstly, I would say get educated. For what I'm doing, it requires postgraduate degree, a postgraduate degree, um, whether that's a master's or a PhD. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really important. Secondly, don't be afraid of not knowing what you want to do or, or not knowing if what you want to do exists as a job. Mm -hmm. um, this job didn't exist when I graduated medical school, so I, I had no real conception of doing this job at that point. I think thirdly, like, don't be afraid to be assertive and take risks. You have time, you're young, the worst that could happen is that you spend like a year or two not working in the particular field that you're interested in but everything that you do is like a step towards what you want to do it all contributes to your knowledge your experience your expertise and leads you along that path of doing that if you could summarize what people should know about climate change in a few words what would you say firstly climate change is a health issue and it's impacting on the health of populations around the world now and no country is immune to the health impacts of climate change. Secondly, whilst we are dealing with this COVID-19 pandemic and in our recovery, we cannot forget our response to climate change and we must make sure that our COVID-19 recovery is aligned with the Paris Agreement, otherwise we risk failing to meet that 1.5 degree target. Thirdly, action on climate change, tackling climate change could present many opportunities to improve public health through cleaner air, through better diets and in, through improved physical activity, as well as creating safer places for us to live. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review this podcast on whatever app you use. That helps other people find us by raising us up in the rankings. It is one of the most helpful things you can do. While you're at it, please subscribe to the Women in Foreign Policy newsletter, which is available on our website. If anyone has any thoughts, anyone that'd be interested in us interviewing, whether as part of an episode series or as a one-off, please let us know. You can also follow our organization's Twitter at WomenInFP. And if the work we're doing means a lot to you, please consider supporting us via PayPal at Lucy Goulet. That's L-U-C-I-G-O-U-L-E-T. Or on Patreon at Women in Foreign Policy. 
We are an all-volunteer team, so that means your support goes even further. We love the work we do, and we couldn't do it without listeners like you. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.